Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. Nice. Okay, welcome everybody to Mental Status. This is Megan, your host, and this is a podcast about burnout for mental health professionals. And today I have a super special guest, and I would love to let them introduce themselves. So, special guest, who are you? Where are you? And how are you doing today? I'm Megan Malik, she, her. I'm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm uh, getting my feet back on the ground after the holiday and new year. And um, as Meg knows, I am recovering from my second round with our friend COVID-19, mm-hmm. despite being boosted. So, yep, yep, th- um, yeah. Oof. But that's how I am, hanging it. But I'm, I'm actually, all things considered, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, for those who are listening, we're actually recording this in January. That's probably going to go out a few months from now, but January 3rd of 2022, when, what are they calling it? Omarion, Omicron, Omicron, I don't know. It's that one thing that really kicked our asses and hooray. So I am glad to hear that Megan is doing better and I'm excited for our conversation today. Um, And yeah, let's just, let's dig right in. Megan, can you tell us a little bit about your burnout story? Sure. Um, I actually have several, um, but I'm going to focus on the most recent one. Um, so I, you know, I think this one starts probably summer of 2020 in that I was newly into private practice, like six, not even six months when the initial pandemic hit. And um, my caseload started to fill overnight. And like many of us, I adapted, adapted just to simply try to keep my own self afloat and meet people's needs. And by, um, by September, I was just super overwhelmed, um, Meg. And what I realized I'd started to do was um, I was, I'd started to increase my drinking. Um, and that came to a head the weekend that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died where I kind of, and our refrigerator died and there was a crisis with that. So first world problems, but anyway, Mm. I drank a bottle of red wine on a Saturday night, got sick. You know, I'm in my freaking forties and I was like, I'm I'm not a 20 something year old. And um, my spouse, the, I mean, I felt crappy and I was like, this is not good. But he confronted me the next day in a really loving way. and was like, I'm worried about you. And I was like, I'm worried about me too. So I signed up to do Sober October, been sober since, and spent a lot of 2021 doing like the things to try to put my self-care together. 
and I found a sense of stability, but then I can't, I can't lie. Come, I don't know. I think it was September, October of this year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I've taken weeks of vacation. I've, I've been hiking, yogaing, drinking the water, you know, keeping my caseload to what had been reasonable in 2019, like not what agency said, but like doing that. Um, and I was like, I, I'm exhausted. I'm just exhausted. And I don't think like this whole new, I don't know whatever the hell we're in, but this like Omicron hadn't yet hit, but Delta, I guess, was fiercely going here. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is, I've kind of intellectually known this is like it, but like my body really started to get, oh, this is it. Yeah. And um, as I started to settle into that, I realized like I'm feeling irritable. I was starting to not necessarily want to be with clients, which is like super abnormal for me. Like I'm the person that comes home and over talking with my spouse, I'm like, I love what I do. It's such a privilege to be with people. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this is not like me. And then um, I meet with a spiritual director, which is basically similar to therapy um, in that it dives deep, but it really, you lean into presence and listen for where the divine, like what is bubbling up where are you nourished where are you depleted what's happening in that and it's helpful to have someone reflect back to you that and kind of help then give you some practices to go with that so um i completed my licensed exam in september and all the i's were dotted and t's were crossed and so she said how was i celebrating that and i was like well you know my spouse and i we had a nice dinner and she was like she invited me to be more like, what might my soul want? So mm-hmm. we sat in silence and literally I opened my eyes and I was like, I want four weeks off. Yeah. I mean, boom. and you know, she leaned in and I felt resistance and um, my kind of own fawn really response, right? My own codependency, which is one thing I've lived with learning to be in recovery with and from for 20 some years, I was like, I really need this. And how do I go about doing this? And holy shit, (laughs) what does this mean? I have a full caseload. I've been referring people out, but you know, blah, 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 blah. I feel this call to take my backgrounds in teaching and um, ministry because I know how to work with groups and do more with that, but there's no space. And anyway, a long story short is I'm preparing to take a month off from mid-February to mid-March. And the big yes for me is that I didn't get to the point of having to do this. I mean, I need to do it because I need to do it so that that doesn't happen. Um, But I mean, I've had crash and burn (laughs) moments in my past. And I would not say I'm anywhere near crash and burn. Yeah. Like I know what the beginning of the road that goes to crash and burn looks like. And so for me to see it this early and be this proactive is really a significant shift. And I know that because my inner people are like, <laughs> they're like, what is happening? What? <laughs> what? Wait, wait, wait. It's okay to do this after 
you hit the wall and you look like the person that needs the help. It's not okay to do it when you look okay. What are people, what are people going to say? Yeah. Goodness. Yes. What are they going to say? <laughs> that you're taking four weeks off as a therapist. Are you, are you out of your mind? That would be what one of my parts would say. Yeah. Um, and actually I did talk with a colleague early on and kind of this and they kind of went down that road and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to be super careful about whom I share this with and how. Yeah. Which is kind of, I mean, I understand the reaction, but it also makes me a little sad. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. In that moment, I didn't feel uh, sad. I felt more like, oh, I need to hide and be like, whoa, because I'm having trouble coming to this recognition, my own self with myself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have to kind of safeguard that like a little baby bird for a while. Yeah. Feeling a little less that way now that I've Mm -hmm. kind of been living into the choice that I'm making and that it feels right and good for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But very much an awareness. And then, yeah, I mean, I would say sadness for many therapists as well as other helping professionals that right now believe they can't take any time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I I feel like in to, if I were to like overgeneralize, it would fall into two camps where there probably are folks who, because of the circumstances of their working life and their finances and their family and everything that's going on, it's not feasible, which is really like that. That's a different kind of sad. um, That is a a different different kind kind of, of sad. Yeah. And frustrating and just like, why the fuck is it set up this way that we can't, that we can't take care of ourselves, that we can't have the time off. And then of course there are the folks who like you and I, who are more in the self-employed realm, who also feel a different set of pressures, likely financial, but other reasons too, where we say, no, we can't, we cannot step away for any longer than a holiday break for like right. a week. For a week, any longer yeah. than a week. I mean, for this holiday season, the 2021 holiday season, I kind of had to force myself to not see clients the week between Christmas and New Year's. I had to repeat to myself, no, we're not working that week. No, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. And I had to repeat that to clients. I'm off that week. And like, everybody was fine with it. Everybody was like, that's good for you. Nice. I'm like, oh, Maybe I've been putting a little, little too much, uh, too much on my head with that one, but yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit more about, um, cause I know before we started recording, you had mentioned that this recent bout of COVID-19 has been sort of like the, I don't know if you, you called it the realization or just like this moment where like burnout perhaps led you to this point of being. Yeah. Um, I think I would say it was more an affirmation of an awareness that I have been holding since, um, since really that spiritual direction session where I really let myself name and claim I need four weeks off and, you know, uh, I'm not at an agency like I have been in the past where literally four weeks off in a row would not have been an option, less taking a leave of absence. That would have been how that would have had to have happened. Yeah. Um, in the same breath, as a 
self-employed person who's responsible to other people. And also I would say, you know, kind of wanting to honor doing this differently. Mm -hmm. I kind of really looked at the calendar and thought, okay, what's coming? Okay, I can get there. And um, because I'm, I know I'm taking the month off, I did see clients last week. Mm -hmm. um, limited, very reduced, et cetera, et cetera. And it was like my body going like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. It's our, our bodies are really good at communicating to us. And a lot of the time I'll speak for myself. I'm not good at listening most of the time. <laughs> oh, I'm, I have year 2022 is the year of amend making, I think to my body, uh, yeah. because I've not, I mean, I've journeyed with getting to love her myself. Mm -hmm. um, but that has been a long journey. I was taught to not treat my body well. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And not so much that I, I mean, I was not taught to uh, abuse my body, but I wasn't taught to see it as something that was, you know, worthy of listening to over other things, over yes. other people or information. Yes. Um, and that it was supposed to be conformed in a certain way. I mean, I mean the socialization of people who are socialized as women. Yes, is, I was yeah. very socialized to be a human giver. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. As well as then also taught to utilize food actually was my, the, my first misery stabilizer yeah. um, of like turn there for comfort. Absolutely. Yep. I'll uh, with you on that. <laughs> so um, anyway, I have a complicated relationship with all of those things. Uh, that said, I have learned sooner to come back to the body and sooner to listen to it. And um, I think more than anything, you know, my first career is a middle school English teacher. Uh, and so you get every student in your classroom. We were heterogeneously grouped in a small rural school district. So it's incumbent to learn how to meet everyone where they are. Um, well, that was what I, for me to survive. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. so the journey into private practice and going like, okay, which are the people that resonate with me? I mean, I've never before had an opportunity to be like, what, what, I, what feels most right and true for me. Mm -hmm. And so for 20 years, I've focused more on tuning, attuning to who's out there rather than the person in here. And, um, I'm super good at tuning to who's out there, mm -hmm. which has gotten me a lot of ego strokes, mm -hmm. right? Like I was the teacher that that kid's having trouble, give them to Megan. Um, and community-based mental health, same thing. Yep. Um, and so what have I repeated in my private practice? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I guess, kind of the long and the short of this burnout journey is realizing that um, it didn't start out this way, but once the pandemic hit and I kind of went into my own survival mode, I rebuilt in my private practice what I've come from. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, you said it, you said it right there. You're in survival mode. And so you go mm -hmm. back to survival methods. That's right. It makes a lot of sense. It, it makes total sense. I would say for me, catching it and the decrease of self-shame for that 
has is significant growth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that I, I like to talk to my clients about, um, is that those behaviors and things that we do that we get really frustrated with ourselves about, like, why do I keep doing the same thing? I said, I wanted to do X. I did Y, Y. It's like, this is very likely a learned response to an environment that you grew up in or that you were socialized in that helped you feel safe. And it's, yeah, your body doesn't know differently. It's, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It served a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Likely a life-saving one. Oh, probably. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yet now not. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Which is where we reach that point of frustration. And probably for a lot of us where at least the, the personal contributing factors to burnout, which like, I'm always quick to recognize that it's both a systemic issue and a personal. Yes. I mean, there's personal things that come into it. It's both and. Yeah. Both and. And so our personal stuff that is interacting with the systems around us, like we're being what, what I found for myself and for a lot of people is when we burn out it is because we're interacting with the systems from a survival state in an effort to be seen or validated or feel worthwhile or feel safe within those environments, but it just doesn't end up happening the way that we want and need it to, No, which is so frustrating. It is frustrating. That's really very well said. I think that's, that fits. Yeah. 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 So for where you are right now, I know before we started recording, you said that you're you're kind of coming out of that burnout phase, mm-hmm. yeah. getting a little bit more clarity. So where are you today within your journey? Mm, that's a good thing. I would say it's almost like you see that part of the hike ahead of you where it's like, okay, I see that lovely resting spot or that top where I'm going to get to really enjoy looking out. I see that it's there. It's not like in the middle of the hike and you go on good faith that it's there and you just slog. Um, It's not slogging, but there is a steep climb to getting to the month Mm -hmm. in terms of, I would say, not just, um, you know, the work that I need to do over the next six weeks with clients, but it's my own inner work of what gets kicked up. I mean, you were saying you had to keep repeating to yourself, we're taking a week off. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I have a lot coming up with taking a month off. And then there's also, right. So there's the all or nothing part of me that's like could go balls to the wall to prep for it, or they just hunker down and be like, everybody will be okay. I'll just send one email and that'll be good. No, I'm working to do this middle where I am collaborating with two other people who are going to be on call for me. I have a four-tiered process with clients to really help them. I believe like, so me showing up with this and really being open to hearing their feedback, which is likely going to mirror my inner head trash. Mm -hmm. is like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also where the growth is oh absolutely yeah so yeah, yeah. but I, I see the the climb and I'm like all right I see you do a little bit every day okay mm-hmm. um but but because I see that I've offloaded the heavy stuff my 
already my schedule for the year is much better. Like I've started moving toward those proactive steps and doing little bits every day. So I would say that's kind of where I am and, and ready for the release because some people are going to choose to probably want to be with, which is one of the four choices, choose Mm -hmm. to want to refer to somebody else and trusting that that's okay. Letting go of the ego. It's not about me. There's Mm -hmm. plenty of us. Yeah. And, and then also that spaciousness opening up for what's meant to come in. Right. But, you know, I believe universally, we cannot welcome the new till we let go of what's here. And that letting go process activates me. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes, I am. Um... So this will, I think I said, this will be released in the spring, but because it's January, you know, the, the thing that I'm thinking of right in this moment, when you said release was a little bit of a ritual that I did a couple of days ago, um, not a new year's resolution, but I like to find a word of the year. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I did a, a card pull from my brand new, beautiful Oracle oh, deck. I- yeah, which it was so cool. it was so fun. And one I got I actually got two words because my finger landed in the middle of two cards. So I pulled them both. And mm-hmm. one of them was abundance. And then the other one was drifting. And drifting is relinquishing some of that control and just mm-hmm. letting yourself be led. And I was like, that's so hard for me. I can't do that. But I oh. I'm trying to like feel my way into that. So as you're talking about just that letting go process, um, I think what's fun is that, you know, we as therapists, we love to talk about this stuff with our clients. It's such rich content. And then we turn it around and put it back on ourselves. And it's like, oh, wait, what? (laughs) I have to let go? Me? No. Which I think it's that's human nature, of course. It is. It is very human nature. And I mean, I think therapists see see how out like the deeper things. So then the outcome becomes like, oh, if we do these things, we can get toward this outcome. I know how to massage this, nuance that, weave that, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. but I think actually then we're not as open to the mystery of what happens in that dialogue of the in-between. Yeah. And I know that, and I have thought that for a long time. And yet, being called into doing that in a newer, deeper way is like super uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's in that discomfort where a lot of the the growth can be found. I mean, there can be, obviously we're not talking about traumatic situations. No, no. But times where you're really pushed, you're, you're stretching yourself a bit. You're going beyond what you know to that mystery. Um, at least for myself, I've found so many moments of like really expansive growth from yes. that. For, for myself as well. Yeah. And the, and the feeling of being held. Sonny, yeah. that's a, that's a thing I talk about with clients, the word how like who holds you, mm-hmm. where are you held? Um, I mean, just, you know, starting meditation, I incorporate a lot of meditation in my practice with clients of like recognizing here in this moment, gravity holds me, this chair holds me, my body needs to do no labor. Yeah. 
it is held. Um, and so for me, learning to trust that in an embodied way, not that's passive, but that's fluidly moving with the being held is yeah. so life-giving, but man, you know, with the last year, it's been very hard to oh, yeah. practice that. Mm -hmm. I'm tense. Like I, I find myself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and clients as well. I mean, how, you know, again. Yeah. Well, I mean that knowing that you're held, whether in the literal sense or spiritually or emotionally, it requires yeah. a, a lot of trust. It does. Uh, and I, for good reason, I think a lot of people have found that it's harder to trust things. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and part of it too is, and, and a big reason for wanting to start this podcast and talk to people is that you, you can be held when you're on your own and you can have those moments of being held by gravity or by your own thoughts. But I think especially with burnout, what really needs to feel like truth for people in a lot of ways is that they can be held by the people around them and their community and they can get support from the people who, you know, like colleagues who can say, Hey, good for you that you yeah. are taking time for yourself. It's funny you, you say that. I think, um, you know, in January of 2020 into February, well, in December of 2020, I read the book burnout, mm -hmm. um, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, so good. And I loved it so much, but I was like, yeah. this needs to be done. Like, this is like a do with other people. And so I did a, a, a virtual group and it was really transformative for all of the, there were like six of us that I did it through the business. And then I did another stint from October. It was going to be October through um, right after Thanksgiving, but we ended up extending till right before uh, the most recent holiday and really Meg, I saw more growth than in one-on-one -on -one work, which really has me journaling and pondering. And this is where I need this month to really let come out. But like, what do we know about what makes people, what helps people heal? Yeah. Container, and others, and then psycho like education about what's happening that normalizes our body's reaction and all of that. Mm -hmm. What is that, and how do we do that? And you know, I agree with with burnout, but I also, I mean, I think it's true unless you're doing the depth work of trauma recovery. Yeah. I actually think that's true for trauma work as well. Kind of understanding the body's threat response cycle learning how to hold that, being seen and witnessed by others. Um, I think that is often communal work as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I saw it. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to butcher this quote so badly, but it's something about how like humans are overall, we're wired for community and connection and then trauma wires us for safety, which yep in those states doesn't, yeah, it creates that yeah. disconnection. And I mean, as most of us listening, you know, we, we're all trauma therapists, even if we don't directly specialize <laughs> in it, we all yes. work with people who've been traumatized. And we know as mental health professionals that 
one of the best predictors for positive outcomes in therapy is the strong, trusting therapeutic relationship being connected with somebody and in group work, when you have a group that really fits and that supports each other and they hold each other is magic. Like it's literally magic. And the, the therapist leading the group, if it's, if it's really magical, like they often don't even need to do a whole lot. It is because people help heal each other. They do. They do. And I guess because of my previous vocational experiences, I've witnessed that Mm -hmm. even though I wasn't a trained mental health professional, I saw it happen. I didn't know what it was, but I was like, this is helping. (laughs) Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've talked on this show a little bit about how, when I lived in Minneapolis, I started a creative writing group because I needed something. Mm -hmm. And eventually once the group took hold and people started coming to it. Like I, I, I just held the structure, the people who came to the group, they did, they did that together. They created a space that was safe. And I've been gone from Minneapolis for a year and a half. Some other people took over that group and they're still running it. And there are still people who say, this is my Saturday routine. I do this group every Saturday because it means that much to me. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. And it's like, the point to illustrate is like, it doesn't matter if it's a mental health group or not, like people being in community with people who can hold you. So important. And it's important for therapists. Hello, I'm speaking directly into the microphone. Therapists, find your community. Like we need it too. Oh, oh, I think we need it now. Yes. I mean, we, I think we have always needed it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think we need it now more than ever. If we are going to sustain through this, I don't know how this is going to shift what we do, but I, I think our, literally our role as therapists is in the active process of shifting, like what it means to be a therapist. Um, you know, I attended Esther Perel's, um, the great adaptation is what she called it her little conference this fall and she had people talking about like I mean it's just not yet formed this whole new thing but how else are we going to form it unless we're in community with each other discerning what and how we do this how do I hold I can't hold me accountable sometimes I need someone to wave the bullshit flag on me yeah (laughs) I mean a lot of time I need somebody to wave the bullshit flag on me yeah yeah and that's, yeah, that, that has been something that I too have found is kind of missing. I've been trying to build it into my life. Um, but yeah, people who can lovingly look at me and say, really, <laughs> really, are you going to do that right now? And be like, well, no, but yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that is something that I have, I've just become so much more aware of, um, over the past, even six months since starting this podcast, but before that is just how important, how important it is to be around people who can support us. Um, so I'm wondering for you, as you're working towards this sabbatical and you have your spiritual director, who else is in your corner when it comes to supporting you through this process? So um, I have my therapist, Bestie, she and I went through, have gone through a lot together. So she, um, 
also had a lot of transition going on and actually took two months off this year. Um, so she was one of the first people I called and she was like, sister, yes, I have your back. She's one of my, um, she's going to be one of my good, like she offered and was like, I will be one of your on-call people if you need them. So nice. like, oh gosh. Yeah. Um, so she's, uh, definitively got my back. I have a clinical supervisor that I still see. Mm-hmm. So she also is part of this and helping me reframe and, um, you know, not only giving to myself, but what, what gifts am I giving and doing this to like helping me kind of look at, okay, let's reshape how we see this. Um, and actually I, um, I joined Zinni me the whole accountable practice boot campy thing. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm financially significantly contributing this year. Um, in terms of like, this is a whole holding environment structured with, cause right. I'm an idea person. I'm artistic, creative. So when I need people to hold me accountable, it's more to be like, how does that actually translate into live day-to-day embodied practice, Megan, what ideas get parked, what ideas get driven. And, um, and then, okay, wait a second, come back. What's first things first. So um, actually I have working session today from noon to three with the accountable practice people. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm really pleased for you that you have those different folks and communities that will support you. Um, I, uh, I'm actually working with a, a recent guest of this podcast. I decided to sign on with her as, as a, a client of hers to be in the cool. container that she's holding. It's um, Felicia Keller. Yes. Yes. Um, so I've signed up for her program, which is definitely, it was a stretch for me and Hey, Felicia, if you're listening, hello. Um, <laughs> but it is a container where, you know, as I was talking with her about that, it's a place where I can be held, where I don't have to always show up as the leader or the one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you Perhaps know, like to that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. I really yeah. do. Yeah. I, I think a lot of us as therapists are really used to the idea of like, we're showing up with the ideas, we're moving things forward, we're getting it done, especially if we go into private practice, like we're doing everything. And so finding that space where you can be held accountable, but also just drop into being a community member. And again, yeah. that word being held, uh, I'm excited for it. It's, it's definitely more of a stretch for me. I've never had a business coach. I'm excited for it. I'm um, excited for you to hear about it. That's how I feel about uh, the accountable practice too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like, Ooh, this is different. Oh yeah. I meet with an accountability coach twice a month, starting this month. So <laughs> nice. No, Isn't that's that great. nice. It is, yeah. is it is super great. And also I know it is going to be good because I have a teenage part of me that like can get activated and be like, who are you to, but that's not what this is. Like I know in my adult self knows, like this is not for the sake of this. This is people really holding my intentions for my highest, best self mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who can see 
beyond what I can see saying, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you hope that this accountability um, practice is going to help support you against burning out again? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I hope it's going to help me redesign my private practice in a way that is more emotionally sustainable for me in the midst of what this is. Um, And that means looking at pricing and fee structure, um, as well as, you know, the whole ideal client, which I really rebelled against that idea originally. Um, Because accessibility and what affordability and, um, you know, kind of the the old general practitioner kind of thinking about, you know, I live in rural America. And so there really are like truly old school general practitioners here. And I see a real beauty in that. Um, and so kind of really pushed for like two years, but I'm now like, no, I think I'm really ready to niche, yeah, niche down and do that. And it doesn't feel exclusive. It feels like the way I can best serve. Mm-hmm. So help having them help me do that, as well as um, because I have the previous backgrounds, I want to figure out how I want to uniquely integrate them to be like, this is what I do. That might not only be offering therapeutic services, um, probably offering ritual combined with um, kind of group process and or kind of people, families, communities moving through nodal events. Yeah. Um, Because I believe embodied ritual, I too do embodied ritual and I've got my like you can't see it but I've got like my whole little altar set over here to I the love side that. I love that. um so that to me is so vital to who I am most people that know me know that about me and so I'm ready to bring that into my work I've held that out partly because we're taught right like that's separate from this except for for me there is no more sacred room than creating space with clients so source is very much for me what's happening Mm -hmm. um so how do i bring that in in a way that feels right and true for me and clients as well as it's so sacred to me i've not wanted to share what's so dear i think yeah and yet i feel very like this no i think what ails our world right now is not just mental illness i think there's a spiritual And I don't mean, you know, right-wing conspiracy stuff. I mean, this sort of struggle with this feeling of depletion, of loss, of meaninglessness, of how do we find a sense of direction? For me, that is a spiritual thing. The moral injury that those of us who have served through this crisis, and I say us because me too, have Mm -hmm. moral injury for what it means to not be able to do best practice and witnessing the fallout of that. Yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, I want them to help me take these big ideas that I'm spewing and translate them into lived things, not just ideas that come out in my journal and sound good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and I mean, I, I can, I can resonate with that. I'm also a bit of an ideas person, although being a therapist of mine once called me type A and I was like, are you sure? I probably am. So like, I have this sort of expansive imagination with things and then parts of me can get down to business. Oh yeah. 
But I mean, I think that's really beautiful for you that you can recognize you have that expansive part of you that likes to dream big and write these things out and have that vision and that you have intentionally sought out a place and people who can say, okay, let's take those ideas. Let's bring the essence into something that you can actually do in, mm-hmm. in this real world situation. Um, but also that you are rather than further pushing the, the important parts of you further out of the room, you're wanting to bring them in, which I think is another cool shift that I'm seeing in mental health. I mean, obviously as therapists, we're not going to sit there and just talk about ourselves, but being able to show up as an actual human being who has actual thoughts and feelings and who can relate to some degree to people and bring that as a part of the healing. I think it's super cool that people are doing that. Uh, It's funny you say that. I think that too. And that's, well, I mean, never before have we all been in so much similar of the same crucible. And I don't mean, of course, everybody's boat is a different boat in the Mm -hmm. same store, you know, blah, 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 what have you, whatever the metaphor might be. And yet the extenuating circumstances of the last two years, most of us that are serving as mental health professionals haven't had as similar backdrop that we may be struggling with ourselves as the people we're serving. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? And how does that mean? And um, kind of changes up responsible self-disclosure. Yeah. Like I've seen people just go, when it's like, yes, this is hard, man. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say, like, yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like, I don't want to say I keep it at bay. I, I keep it within a certain space, but I have felt this, I want to call it existential, existential dread at times where I'm just like, what is happening? Like, what's the point? What's going on? And being able to recognize that and not just stuff it down and make it go away and present like a very clean button up face to my clients, but instead coming to session saying, I also feel Yes. Parts of what you're feeling. And I know this experience within my own self, tell me what it's like for you. How do you see the world through your lens of existential dread? <laughs> like, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been wildly different than what I imagined it would be when I first graduated. As I was, can, yeah, <laughs> a, a to- totally. Yeah totally wildly different totally and wildly different than what it even was as I was first practicing yeah oh yeah um and I would say too you know humbling one for myself but also recognizing I mean it's not like there's a wealth of people you know standing on the shoulders of the shoulders of the shoulders of the people who've gone before we do that and yet also just like we are with our clients in a new and different way. Those who have seasoned years in the field, the, the playing field's been leveled in a whole new way. Yeah. Not, they have those years of seasoning and that is very helpful, the perspective, the holding of all of that. But like, what does it mean to serve in the midst of this? They too finding their bearings. Yeah. Yeah, it's... 
There's lots of questions and a lot of, um, <clears throat> a lot of feeling into things as we go. Yeah. Along, I think. Yeah. Yes. I think feeling into is a good word and back to kind of the intuitive yeah. moment by moment, listening, leaning in. Mm-hmm. And the value of what it is to listen and hold rather than have a technique. Right. Do this. We're going to do this thing. Yeah. yeah. Do these five steps. It'll all be better. <laughs> oh my gosh. If that was true, like. Holy We'd God. all be better. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds of it at points where I'm loving a lot of what I'm seeing coming out of the field right now. And I'm also seeing um, a digging in of the heels of some larger systems within the field in terms of how they're treating people. I don't wanna go, like, I feel like I get on a soapbox about that a lot, but it, it feels very true that there are still places and systems and organizations and agencies that they haven't quite seemed to take the lesson of the pandemic yet. I am hopeful that they will. I don't know that they will. Um, and I, my, my heart often it goes out to the folks who are still working in those systems. I have clients who work in those types of systems where like they, the people themselves still feel like they're solely responsible for fixing the system. Yeah. Making sure that the, that the ship stays afloat. I'm like, you're, yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I very much, I I hear you. I've been, I've been one of those people on the ship for a very long time. Actually, Meg, that is what you're saying is largely why I gave up my authorization for ministry. Mm. Um, I worked to have both my, you know, what I needed as an MFT and what I needed as an ordained clergy person um, with the United Church of Christ which um, for those who don't know is a very progressive denomination. Um, And yet there was much, um, how do I wanna say this? Almost like a doubling down on the ways that things had been done procedurally, I would say specifically within the denomination. And um, I was like, I can't, I mean, nobody was coming in after me, so I don't want to paint it like that. Um, But when I'm seeing like where they're putting their energy, their focus, their time, their attention, and then what's asked on paper of me, whether or not somebody's following up, so wasn't oriented to where my heart felt called to go. Mm -hmm. And I thought I can't keep up with the expectations on paper of what this is to do. Yeah. Even the Zoom meetings of like, I'm Zoomed out, baby. Mm-hmm. And with MFT at the same time. And so I had to choose. Yeah. Didn't have mm-hmm. to. Chose to choose because <laughs> I, I didn't think I could honor both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, certainly within mental health, I would say there are similar. Yeah. It's similar in terms of that. Um, and the grief that I feel letting go, I think as a recovering codependent, I've gotten really clear over the last year that I'm super good at hearing your vision and then in my own body fleshing out what the steps forward toward that vision would be and helping you get there. 
And I think I've intruded in terms of not always then checking in and going like, okay, wait a second, right? So when the behavior doesn't align with the words, doesn't align with the vision, what's happening there? Yeah. Is that vision really the vision? Maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know. Um, but I don't see behavior in some, I'm learning to trust if I don't see the behavior that goes toward the vision that I'm seeing or consistently seeing that and or then the reflective process of like, okay, I say this, but then I did that or an institution being like, okay, we're, you know, early on we were doing this because we needed to, but now we're two years. We have to learn how to do this differently. We're marathoning, not sprinting. What does that look like? How do we do this? How do we practice with our people what we want them to do with our people, with what we do with our people, which is systemic ways of being, yeah. parallel process and the whole bit. If I'm not seeing that, I'm like, okay, you know what? God bless you. God keep you. Be well. This is not mine. Yeah. That's part of my letting go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love that. Um, I hope that for, for folks who are listening, who are within those systems that are, that haven't quite learned the lessons yet. I hope that you can hear what Megan is saying is, and, and, and maybe try to embrace a little bit of that. Cause I like, and I say that as being somebody who's come from agency life where it does feel really hard to be able to step up and say, this is not mine. Oh, this isn't my thing to do. You know, I appreciate all of you. I wish the best, but I cannot do this. Like it's, it's so hard to get to that point it is. as a helper. I think you mentioned prior to the recording as a martyr. Oh yeah. <laughs> which a lot of us, um, I think have identified with to some degree. Yeah. It's you hard, know, but it's possible. It is hard, but possible. When I was leaving the agency, um, my clinical supervisor was very helpful with a, the discernment of that, and then kind of helping support and contain me in that process. Um, and one of the stories that especially the martyr in me tells myself is that I was abandoning my clients by going. Yeah. Yep. Um, and my supervisor invited me to consider that the agency had abandoned them long before. Like I wasn't really doing anything. I was simply, the abandonment had already happened mm. and it wasn't me doing. Because also one of the things in my process, um, I had wanted to stay part-time at the agency and open private practice and do both for a little while, one to provide for, you know, the whole bit, but they, they didn't allow for that. That wasn't an option. And, um, you know, something I was really clear and actually talked to my supervisor at the agency about was I had a small handful of um, people that had some pretty hefty diagnoses yeah. So it wouldn't be appropriate to work within private practice, the agency with the wider holding that's connected to tiers of care and all of that is appropriate. Um, that I would stay indefinitely for like these three, like, yeah. Um, you know, and, and to really help, help a pass be more gentle than maybe they'd ever received and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. um, and that was denied. And my supervisor was really good at being like, right, so who's doing that denying and who's doing that abandoning and what's in you that's needing to step in and take that. And so I say that for the people listening also to check in 
with like what really is yours and what really isn't yours. And what does it mean to provide care? Are you able, does the system even allow you to provide care? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very, um, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm really glad that, that your supervisor talked to you about that. Cause I don't know that I had even considered it that way. Um, I think maybe in different ways I'd considered how systems have not cared for clients, but yeah, I mean, are you really the one doing the abandoning or did that agency, did that system, did that X, Y, and Z already put that into place before you ever set foot in the door? It was like, that was one of those like moments of like, oh my goodness. And then kind of my own reckoning over the last two years of how often I step in, you know, Brene Brown has that great, she takes the Teddy Roosevelt about going down in the arena. And I'm like, oh my God, I lay myself down in other people's arenas. Mm -hmm. I'm not going down in my arena. I'm going down in your arena for you. Oh. And and for, for listeners who don't know that, what is, what is the arena? analogy. So, um, she, Brene talks about, uh, which I guess comes from Teddy Roosevelt originally that, uh, the courageous person, the brave person isn't somebody who's in the stands. There's somebody that has the courage to be down in the muck and the mire of the arena engaged in. And, uh, sometimes they succeed and sometimes they go face plant first into the muck. Um, but that's, that's where courage lives. Having the courage to be in the arena and um, daring greatly, you know, mm-hmm. that that's, that's true daring. And so um, I, people have called me brave much in my life. I've never conceived of myself that way. Uh, but I've like, well, what is that about? And I'm learning to be brave with my life rather than brave for you in your life, if that makes any sense at all. Like, I'm going to say my own hard thing rather than saying your hard thing for you and taking, taking the, the emotional pieces that come from that. Or like with, with the agency, like, yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't scapegoat the agency, but I was also transparent with my clients. And I said, I actually did want to stay and I wasn't afforded that. That's not how that that's not how this agency works. Because I, I don't think keeping the secret of that was a good idea. Right. Right. And I think if that's the policy of the agency, clients deserve to know that. Mm-hmm. They do. They do indeed. <clears throat> that transparency piece. Um, doesn't matter who the client is, um, you know, being able to be upfront about the things that are going to impact their care. Um, and, and the ways in which they can either expect things to change or not change. Uh, I think that is an important thing to be able to do for people and to acknowledge, like, here are the things that are standing in our way of being able to continue with care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's a bummer of a situation and I am sorry that it happened that way. And yeah, and and I also think that 
it's it's another way of illustrating for us, for listeners, for everybody, like there are there are things to be changed within systems. Um, and if you are the type of person who really wants to push for systemic change, I'd say start where you are. If you are within an agency and you're seeing things that you don't think are good for client care, it's not good for clinician care, and you are the type of person who wants to, to take that up with the powers that be, like, this is your opportunity. Uh, and if it's not your fight, if it's not your place, if it's not your thing, that is also okay. You, that is, yeah. you can leave or you can choose to work in a way that's going to honor what you and your clients need if you're not able to leave right now, right? Like you have, you do have some autonomy within your life to be able to say, here is what I, as an independent clinician, am going to do for the people that I work with. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's important to highlight that there are, there are many different ways to, to do this. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I think it's more what's right and true for you and how you and your wise body know that or can lean into that. I mean, certainly um, as my story exhibits, leaving, you don't leave it, you bring it with you in you. So you will be wrestling with whatever, whatever's within you that's difficult from the system will be with you in whatever I think context you're, you're in. Um, and yet you may be in a, a place where it's like, ooh, as you said earlier, Meg, when you are in the survival mode strategy of that, Mm-hmm. As you shift out of that, what does that say to you? Yeah. Absolutely. What does your wise body say? Yeah. And again, listening to your body might not be the most intuitive thing for you, or it may not be the first thing that you think of to do in these moments. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would encourage people to, as much as you're able and as much as feels safe, try to drop into what your body is telling you especially if you're within a system that doesn't feel right, or if you're moving out of a system and you're recreating things that don't feel right, (laughs) which I've done, I have done that for sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's lifelong work being able to listen to your body. True. All right. Well, it does look like we are coming a little close to the end of our time, but usually at the end of these, I like to just throw another open-ended question at my guests. Mm-hmm. So if you were to leave the audience with something to chew on or something to think about as we wrap up this interview, what would you want them to know? kind of thinking about listening to that inner self as we've talked about, like what fills and what depletes, Mm -hmm. that just because you become aware of something doesn't mean you have to change it right that exact minute. It can feel so overwhelming to get in touch with that. And so, you know, I'm here sharing today about what I'm doing and it seems a little tidy, but it wasn't at all tidy getting here. It was messy. It was tears. It was picking a fight with my spouse and then being like, what the heck was that all about? That had nothing to do with that. It was, you know, coming home and being like, I'm exhausted and I don't want to get out. Like it was all of those things. And so, you know, if you're just waking up in, in 
going, I can't keep doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to take some time to tune in just five minutes a day, just Mm -hmm. five minutes, three minutes even. And, um, and you don't know where that's going to go and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Like not knowing is okay. Showing up for yourself is, is such a gift. Um, and don't ever think when you watch, listen to a podcast or see Instagram or Facebook and everything like, right. see, it's at a pausing point in the story. So, it, you know, you can kind of tell in this beginning, middle and end way, but the reality is for any of us that are telling these stories, like when we're in it, we're in it. Oh yeah. Just like you. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've said this a few times or I've started saying it more is like this podcast in particular is a byproduct of that messy part of my story. Like it can sound, obviously I edit things to make it sound very nice. And Absolutely. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. But like, especially when I started those early episodes, when I go back and listen, which I don't do often, I'm like, wow, that person was really in it. That person was super in it. And it was the messy part of the story and it's been messy, but yeah, I, I, I like, I like what you had to share, just being able to give it some time, even if it feels super urgent and just know that with every success, there is a lot of mess that goes behind it. There is a lot (laughs) of mess. There's a lot of mess. Yeah. But, and that's part of the process. Absolutely. You know, I don't think anybody prepared me for, I thought like I was the only one that was like mess. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> or that was like, well, I don't, doesn't this get, do I get better at this? Mm. Or like, doesn't it get less messy? No, no, actually, no, no. <laughs> no. But a lot of that mess can be really, um, I'm not going to say like happy it can be happy uh, it can be lovely though it can be there's a you know there's a beauty to them yes yeah. mm-hmm. it's not pretty no. but perhaps beautiful yeah all right well thank you so much for this thank conversation you. today i really enjoyed it i think that I our too. our audience is going to feel the same um And yeah, I just appreciate all the insight that you had to share. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate being here. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.